Hello everyone and welcome to the next instalment of the Royal Automobile Club talk show in association with Motorsport. I'm Ed Foster and I'm the online editor of Motorsport magazine. For those of you who listened to our first talk show with the Ross Braun and Nick Fry last month, you'll know that you can listen to these via SoundCloud, Acast and on both the club's website and Motorsports. You can also watch us on YouTube. Now, if you didn't listen, I can only tell you that you missed a fascinating hour talking about Braun GP, the demise of Honda F1 at the end of 2008. Now, this is a brand new series of talk shows by the club in association with Motorsport in the club's base in Pall Mall. And we're going to be delving into the world of motorsport with guests from Formula One, motorbikes, and sports cars. So, this month, appropriately, we are in the Seagrave Room. And uh, I'll tell you more about this later, and we have Ben Cousins here to talk about it. Um, and we are joined by Ben, who is the current chairman of the Seagrave Trophy nominations and 23-time winner of the Isle of Man TT, John McGuinness. Um, John, I actually saw on your Twitter profile yesterday that uh, you've described yourself um, as doing a bit of racing, won the odd TT. <laughs> <laughs> I th I yeah, yeah. One, one or two, two. one, one or two. two. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us because I know that you hammered it back from Le Mans, um, not breaking any speed limits, uh, <laughs> to get here to late last night and to be here this morning for this talk show. Um, thank you so much. Pleasure. Um, yeah. The the TT is uh, is quite soon. Um, how are preparations going for that? Yeah, re really good. You know, we're 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 in gear. We're all we're all ready to go. I've got the same same team, same same machine, basically, with a few tweaks here and there, and uh, you know, sa same mechanics, same tires, uh, same wife, same kids. It's just, it's it, it's it's really good. I mean, it, it's really difficult to prepare for a TT. The track's so unique, it's so big, and you know, you can't really prepare yourself until you drop the clutch and head off down Bray Hill, and you know, the. the Straight away, there's no there's no easing your way into it. It's just flat out 180 mile an hour down Braille and away you go. But uh, you know, we had a, a week test in Monteblanco in Spain, which went really really well. And uh, we had a, we already had a test at Castle Coombe. We used Castle Coombe as a, as a test circuit for the for the TT because it's quite bumpy, quite fast. So and there's, there isn't many tracks that are uh, as rough as uh, Castle Coombe and, and and probably probably not got as much runoff as Castle Coombe, uh, Castle Coombe as well. So it's preparation's good. I mean it. it at the moment, nothing's broken, so we can't really fix it. You know, we're just—it's just, yeah. You know, I, I keep looking at myself in the mirror. You know, I'm, I'm 44 in a couple of weeks. I look pretty average, and uh, but I feel good. You know, the fire's still burning. The, you know, the the passion's still there. That everybody's behind me still 100 percent. And uh, you know, I, it comes this time of year. We're, we're we're doing the same thing. You know, getting getting the mileage in, getting a bit of bike fitness going, and uh, yeah, we're we're prepared and ready. I, uh, what I wanted to do today is sort of wind back 20 years because uh, this year is your 20th anniversary of competing at the TT. It's an, an amazing figure. And I actually, I sat and I, and I tried to have a think about other sportsmen that have been at the top of their game for 20 years because you have been at, mm. you know, at the front of the TT. And there's obviously Rossi and Bikes, um, the likes of Fittipaldi, Mark Martin, Richard Petty, Brian Redman, um, probably a couple of footballists and maybe some cricketers, but doing a five-day test isn't really the same as is going around the TT. So <laughs> going back to 96, what was it like going there for the first time knowing you were actually going to be competing? Can you can you remember what the sort of apprehension? And yeah, the, you know, I, it was an amazing journey. Really. Like we, I could sit here probably for an hour and just talk about that, that one first TT. You know, it's... I was doing some British Championship. I was doing... I did the Northwest 200. It was the first road race I did in 94. 
But it, I was struggling as privateer. Didn't really have any budget to run anything. I was running on old tyres, old pistons, old this, old brake pads, and you know I, I always wanted to do the TT, but never knew how I would do it. And but I wanted to do it properly at some stage. And you know I was lucky. I got some sponsorship off uh, off Paul Bird, and uh, and you know I got my first new bike, and I, I had all the, the tools with me. You know, and I thought, and we had a real successful Northwest Tour. I was lying second and in the race with Joey Dunlop and uh, all these top riders, and I thought. I said, I remember saying to Birdie, I said, do you fancy doing the TT? And he went, ah, go on then. And it was just like that. I got a real late entry for it. And, uh, but I knew I always wanted to do it. But, you know, I, I, I got off the ferry and I had nowhere to stop. I was stopping in, in, my, in my van, my empty box van, basically. And, and there's a real good friend of mine who's not with us anymore called Mick Lofthouse. Uh, he said, oh, you know, do the TT. You know, you, you'll be fine. You know, you're a smooth rider. You know, just, just come over and do it. And... Uh, and he said, I'll meet you outside the hotel. I'm stopping in the Monaville Hotel. And uh, so I pulled up outside the Monaville Hotel, the ferry, ferry doctor, like six o'clock in the morning. I was laid on the front of the seats having a bit of a snooze. And Mick come out and said, oh, great, you're here. And I'll come in for a breakfast. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Isle of Man community and everybody in Isle of Man so friendly. They invited me in for breakfast. And then they ended up giving me a room in the hotel. So I had, like, a box room in the hotel. And I always wondered why Mick stopped there. You know, Mick left I stopped there and... I think he had to uh, run across the landing at the night time and uh, give the old landlady a bit of a servicing every now and again. I think <laughs> I think that was part of the deal. So uh, it was uh, a few extras tied in there. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I remember going on the start line and he used to practice at five o'clock in the morning. It was quarter past five, so you'd be up at four in the morning and you had your bike scrutineered. It was still dark at the time. And it was one of those four seasons in... Not in one day, it was actually four seasons in one lap because the lap's so big, it was it was a bit damp and then it was wet, then it was windy, there was leaves on the track and then there was fog on the mountain and there was quite low sun around Ramsey. So I was like, what am I doing involved in this? And, you know, a little mix set off and he's one, two, five, off he disappeared. And, you know, and it, was a, it, it was really tough because that, you know, that year as well on the last uh, last day of practice on the Friday, uh, actually Mick, Mick crashed and was was killed actually in in, in practice and uh, it was you know I felt like at the time just loading up going home you know this is not for me and uh, and I thought you know the sun the sun came out and it had been a bad patchy week of practice and then I thought I'll do the race and see how I feel and off we went and you know Joey Dunlop won the race I finished fifteenth I got the best Newcomb award and it, the rest is history if you like but uh, yeah it just got older me that that year and <coughs> you know but going back to when I was a kid going to my dad, you know, 10 years old, watching watching the racing. My dad did a little bit of racing, and uh, he wasn't a bad old racer, my dad, but uh, he was too interested in in drinking, fighting, and women. That was the <laughs> that was my dad's problem. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, 96, I, I remember, I can just remember it so so much. And there's, there's lots of other things I remember from it, you know, as well. Some, you know, I remember seeing Mick Lofthouse's helmet on the side of the road, and I thought, oh, Mick's broken down, and, and, and he hadn't, he'd, he'd crashed and stuff, so... But, you know, it, it made me stronger, I suppose. And I came back the year after in 97 on my little Aprilia 250 and I stood on the podium for the first time with uh, Joey Dunlop and Ian Locker. And, you know, I came back in 98, Honda's 50th anniversary and just, just I've ridden everything there, you know, two strokes, four strokes, singles, 250s, 125s, Ducatis, V-twins. And like I say, the, re the, the rest is history. And I just can't, I can't, can't get it out of my system yet. <laughs> um, some of you may have noticed on the video, we are joined by uh, Isle of Man TT winner himself, Matt Oxley, and uh, motorsport journalist, Matt, a uh, very warm welcome. We're just talking about the uh, John's first ever 
um, a TT. Uh, you, you mentioned there, John, there was, um, you know, you did, Joey Dunlop won the race and you were lying second to him um, at Northwest 200. What was it like, you know, with the likes of Joey Dunlop in front of you? I mean, you were, what, 25, I think, at the time? Yeah, it was. And, and you know, I just, it was funny. I was sort of really watching Joey, not watching where I was going, really. I thought, this is, <laughs> I shouldn't be here. This is, that's the great man himself, you know, the, the most successful guy ever. And there was just something about him. I don't know wh what it was, but, you know, the yellow helmet, the, the Honda leathers on, and, you know, it, I was there slipstreaming him and passing him and, and being alongside him and whoa, you know, and it, it was it was it was really, really cool. It was amazing. I mean I, I you know, it was he was he was my hero and, and you know, going back before that and I, I went to get his autograph. Uh he was at the bottom of Bray Hill, uh, in a garage with like the Rothmans factory, RVF seven fifties and stuff and I'd bought a picture from the shop and took it down and said, Would you sign this? and and I said to him, you know, I said, Would, I'm going to stand on the podium with you one day, Joey. And uh, <laughs> he sort of just went, hur, he, hur, hur, and that, that, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was sort of difficult to understand at the best of times. I was like, and uh, in 1997, I did. I did achieve that. You know, I did stand on the podium with him. And I actually reminded him. I said, do you remember? <laughs> and he sort of said, hur, hur. <laughs> a few, <laughs> few Fs and stuff in there. And that was about it. He never... He never remembered, but I remembered. I remembered it well, and uh, you know, I was such a happy bunny sat up on the podium with him, and uh, and again, you know, we were, we were rivals, and I got quite friendly with him, and I don't think many people did get sort of in behind Joe, you know, and get into him a little bit. But I w maybe I was young and I was asking him millions of questions and flat out because I was his teammate in two thousand, Joey's last ever teammate on the Vimto uh, SP one Hondas, and. Uh, you know, I was a new boy. He was 48 years old, grey hair, little specs on. He just didn't look like a racer. And, and that year he won three TTs. And, you know, and whatever I've achieved, I'll never achieve what Joey achieved. You know, it, it, he won on a superbike, then jumped on a 125 and won on a 125. So, you know, if I jumped on a 125 now, it'd disappear up my You know, there's just no way I could w win on a 125, you know. So he was just so, you know, just so much talent, you know, and he was the same age as my dad, which made it really weird as well. So, <laughs> um, I d d you sort of t touched on that, asking him lots of questions. Uh, how useful were the sort of the older statesmen of the TT when you first arrived? Because it is you always, you know, it's about it's a track that obviously Matt, you'll know better than, better than me, but it's it obviously it's experience there that counts so much and, and knowledge. Yeah, it, it's it. If you can just get any sort of information off anybody at that level, uh, you take it. You know, even if it's even if it makes a tenth of a second or one corner, it's definitely worth all the questions that you ask. But uh, he never said a right lot, didn't Joe? You know, it, it sort of let you know he wasn't wasn't really ready to be talking. Or then, you know, it it sort of open up and buy a vodka and and, and we'd be chatting away about all sorts of things. But uh, yeah, there was. There was lots of other riders as well. There was the Ian Lockers who won seven TTs. There was Ian Duffus. There was Jim Moody. There was an eight times winner. There was uh, Ian Simpson, three times winners. I just, I was sort of the kid, just sort of asking the questions, and I used to sneak in the awnings and look at the bikes, and I'd be trying to look at what gear in they had on and what rear sprocket they had on, and there was all sorts of tricks going on. There were people would put a blob of silicon over the number on the sprocket so they couldn't see what gear in they had on. But it was all the things that went on and all the trickery and skullduggery going on in the paddock. But uh, 
I looked up to them guys, Joey, all them top top runners, and uh, I just wanted to be there. And you know, I, I served my time basically. You know, I went in '96 and and chipped away, and it you know it took three years for me to win my first TT. And then uh, even then, when it went when I won my first TT, I was all you know. I'd be, I'd be the one in the nightclub, I'd be up late, I wouldn't be prepared, eating their own food, no drinking stuff, you know, not water and stuff. And, you know, I worked with other riders in the past, like Jim Moody, he whipped me into shape, got me in bed early, got me up, got me the first in, in line for practice and things like that. So all these riders, I, I, I massive respect for them, you know. And, and even now at 43, I'm still, still learning. You know, there's always something you can learn at, at the TT because if it isn't the weather, the conditions, or a tyre, or the wind, or, or something, there's always something that will throw you a curveball at the TT. When you first went there and you, you started here, you, you're there, the new boy on the block. Did you? It's such a big circuit. Was there a particular bit of the circuit that you felt you could go quicker out? Have you got a favourite bit of the circuit? Did you have a strategy, let's attack you know, Douglas to the Glens and then I'll deal with the rest later? Or did you try and take it all in one bite? Yeah, it, it, it's funny because I went... I went across at 17 years old on my Yamaha TZR125, you know, with my paddock jacket on, jeans and t-shirt, uh, jeans and trainers, and just hit lap after lap after lap after <laughs> lap, put some more fuel in it, lap after lap, <laughs> <laughs> just round and round and round. Uh, and I learned the circuit, you know, I, I wouldn't say I learned the circuit, I knew that it was left or right or where I was on the circuit, but obviously when everything's off the track and the, the cars and... You know, and Mavis is not off for a loaf of bread in the car and stuff. It looks totally different. But, uh, you know, I just I sort of knew where I was going. And there were certain areas that I picked up probably a little bit quicker. Uh, like the place like the mountain section, you would think that was the easiest part of the track to learn. But I always found it the most difficult part of the track because there was no definitions, no walls, no lampposts, no trees, anything, anything to give you any peeling in points. It was all look, all looked the same. The only thing that's up there is a few sheep and a lot of blades of grass. Uh, but, you know, strategies, I was always a real good starter. I was made made sure that my tyres were red out on the tyre warmers. I was really, really up for the start. And even the first, I always think the first drop of the clutch, you see some riders are a little bit lazy off the line, and I think, you know, that's you could lose a second, second and a half off the line, and that's so much harder to, to earn back on the track. So I always used to push to Glen Helen, and then I used, for a lot of years, I used to break him from the start, but now... It's not really a strategy anymore. It's just like everybody's gone on to that now. Everybody's the same. Everybody's, and then you're thinking, well, no panic. Watch the boards. Keep going. Keep pushing. And then you're thinking, pit stops are really important, super important. But uh, bits of the track, I don't try not to have a, a favourite bit of the track or a, or a place that I don't like. Cause you've got to get everything right. You've got to, you know, just get every single part of the circuit to be right to be to go really, really fast. Is there a bit of the track you particularly enjoy? Yeah, yeah, where you, you Finish line, probably, <laughs> in the scene after, <laughs> after the senior. It's a great relief when you cross the line. But, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a, a little part of the circuit named after me now, which is really cool. I think that's it's really, really special. You know, they asked me if, which part of the circuit would, would I like being named after me. So, you know, there's, there's Dukes, there's, there's lots of, you know, Guthrie's and places like that. But... Unfortunately, they're all gone. So me and Dave Molyneux, the, the top sidecar driver, we've got our own own bits of the track, and it's. I don't know why I picked it. It's a, well, I do. I, you never see any spectators there. It's just a little right left flick sort of downhill left hander before the top of Bagara between the eleventh between Hanley's Bends where the big walls are, and the top of Bagara. It's just a little section through there, and it may maybe because I 
when I won my first TT, I passed a, a lad called Owen McNelly through there, and it just gave me such a thrill to pass him. And I remember he was on a <coughs> he was on an Aprilia, and the bikes were so evenly matched. And because he just hesitated a little bit on the left, and I just kept under the screen and just passed him. And then I, I passed Adrian Archibald through there to win my first Superbike TT, and, and I just like it, so I named it there. So uh, I can't wait till I retire. I'm just going to go there and with a case of beer and uh, a few sandwiches <laughs> and just. Tell everybody, tell the marshals, because there's probably some marshals there. Tell them how fast they used to be through there, <laughs> that corner. It's, yeah. it's a kind of classic TT corner. There's so many corners that don't have names, aren't there? Because yeah. there's too many for them to have names. But it's that kind of classic corner, as you said, where, where you know somebody will just feather the throttle or lift up out the screen. And then, you know, you've lost yeah. all the speed down the next. I mean, it's a bit of a straight down towards... Um, uh, uh, top of the garage. <laughs> top, top of the garage. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I mean, just you, could, me. you could lose two seconds there, couldn't you, or gain two seconds? It's exactly why I like it. You know, I don't, it's it, it, those are the bits of the circuit where you you can pinch half a second here, maybe three quarters of a second there, and uh, it's just that it's just the build up, the anticipation. You go through hand, handlers for the big walls, and you've got to be sort of a bit patient into handlers, go through a little bit slower to get a good drive out and then, then you build it up, build it up, build it up and it's it's quite a physical bit of the track where you're sort of stood on the pegs and, and pushing the bike through the bends but it's sort of, you get it right 70% of the time, even now I've just got to just roll it a little bit. I mean the bikes are now at 210 plus horsepower so they definitely get your attention and uh, you've got to be absolutely inch perfect and when you do, it's, it's one of those corners where you sort of get a bit of a G out as well for quite, quite like the bottom of Bagaro and bottom of Bray Hill, sort of the bike G's out, but it, it just only for a split second. But this seems to just it sort of drives you in the seat through the corner, and uh, it just gives me a bit of a, a bit of a thrill. And, and I named it after me, so it's yeah, it's cool. It's going to be on the map forever, even when I'm gone. It's still going to be McGuinness's, so it's uh, have um, to change the map for. Well, something else that your your name is going to be on um, is the Seagrave Trophy, and today um, is uh, March 31st, and you're being awarded it. Um, ben, give us a bit of a background about the Seagrave. You know, obviously Mike Hellwood, Joey Dunlop, John Surtees, lots of other brilliant bikers have won it. Um, what's the history of it? And uh, uh, yeah, tell us. Uh, well, so Henry, who's hanging on the wall behind me, uh, was a, he was an aviator in the First World War. And he, he was out of that group of people that they'd seen so much loss in the First World War. They kind of had a devil-may-care attitude, but the, uh, they needed a buzz, and he, t he found his buzz racing cars. He became the first Brit to win a Grand Prix in a British car in 1923. And then he went into land speed record braking, first man to achieve 200 miles an hour on the beach at Daytona. I imagine doing 200 miles an hour on the sand. Uh, then he turned his hand to water speed record, and he was the first man to hold the water and land speed records. Sadly, he wasn't too successful, and he crashed his boat on Windermere uh, Friday the 13th, 1930. Uh, allegedly, he, was, uh, he didn't die immediately. He came around in hospital. His wife uh, was there. He asked whether he'd broken the record. She said yes, at which point he promptly croaked. So he was, he was the right spirit. Uh, but his, his widow, Doris, was a real, I might have heard, uh, class act. Uh, she was determined that the struggles he'd gone through uh, weren't going to happen to others. And so she created the Seagrave Trophy to be awarded to the individual uh, on land, sea or in air that demonstrates uh, the, the benefits of transport. That's uh, essentially put the spirit of adventure. And it's been awarded since 1930. Some years it isn't because quite simply... There's no the nominations committee feel there's nobody worthy to receive it. Uh, yep, both Campbells have won it. Donald and uh, Malcolm, Bill Bedford, the pilot there, Hawker Harrier won it. We've had lo quite a lot of bikers. Jeff Duke was the first to win it. Barry Sheen's won it twice. Uh, we've had Steve Webster, sidecar rider, um, 
world champion, Carl Fogarty for World Supers. And now we have a very worthy winner, uh, a unanimous decision. When his name cropped up in the, the meeting, it was like, well, job's done then, isn't it? <laughs> when you look at uh, 23 TTs and 132.701 miles per hour, you go, respect. Uh, and what's lovely is the, uh, the awards lunch, you all, as many as the previous winners come, it's such an amazing roll call of, of greatness that they want to see who the next name on the on the uh, the tally is. Um, so it's uh, great to welcome John on there and a very, very worthy winner. John, how, how does it feel? Because obviously you're very used to winning a lot of trophies, but this one's just a little bit different because there's, you know, there's bringing the spirit um, in there and things like that. Oh. The 132.701 was actually slowing down for the pits as well, by the way, so it could have been <laughs> slightly quicker. No need to rub it in. would have been 133 if it was a flying lap, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm oh, super proud of it. I mean, I was just doing some homework on it myself and looking through some of the lists, you know, and like I say, the, the list is endless of legends, you know, and, and I've had some lovely messages as well of Martin Brundle, of uh, even of Valentino Rossi, had some messages off Mark Weber and you know all these guys and they're, they're uh, you know they they're saying it's going to the, you know it's going to be a prouder place on in the trophy cabinet you know I'm super super uh, proud to have it you know it's uh, like I say I, I feel a little bit out of my depth in this place it's, uh, but uh, you know I've put my I served my time I've done my job and uh, you know it's uh, really pleased to get it and uh, yeah looking forward to it looking forward to the day. Um. Just sort of going back to the TT, there's you know t 20 years is is as I mentioned just an amazing time to be competing um, you know at the front of the grid. What what have been the sort of big changes over that time? And I, you mentioned the the bikes are obviously so powerful now. Um, what's what's the biggest thing you've had to adapt to to stay at the front? Uh, one of the biggest things is the is the the bikes, the constant uh, change of the the bikes, uh, the the power, the tires, the the circuit's still the same, you know, there's still all the obstacles and all the ornaments around the track are still not going to move if you hit any of those. Uh, but yeah, there's a little bit, the the one thing that's been a, a step forward is maybe the organisation, the marshalling. Uh, they've had a few times where it's been uh, a little bit in the doldrums, you know, uh, people looked at the TT and just thought of the, the bad side of it, you know, but over the last few years it's changed a little bit, you know, when I've... When I've been doing interviews and talking about the TT, I've been really positive about it, about the history of it, the, the heritage of it, all the world champions that have done it, and uh, you know, and, and the media behind it now. They don't talk about the the bad side of it. They always talk about how great it's been and all the, and, and all the, the big speeds and you know, and the atmosphere that the fans that go. It's still all sold out, still busy, still flat out, flat out busy, and uh, you know, probably <laughs> I'm changing a little bit, getting a bit grey and a bit fatter, but uh, they're still. You know, it's not much has changed. You know, it's still still the same. You know, you still got on that line, and for me, you know, there's still the thrill and the the, the buzz is still there and there. But yeah, nothing nothing's really changed, I suppose. Well, one question, but probably aimed at Matt as well as yourself, John. Uh, you, you've been testing at Le Mans in the last couple of days. It's billiard table smooth there. You know, you can roll a penny down the pit straight. Um, you talked about going to Castle Coombe because it's the closest you can get to the TT mounting course. How difficult it is for you? Is it for you as a r rider and also in the mechanics to set the bikes up when you're, you're riding on the track that's really unique? Uh, it, it must be tricky because you've, yeah, you've only got the reference from last year. Yeah, it's a bit of a balancing uh, balancing act with, with the bike. You know, the the bike has to be fast but reliable. The bike has to be, uh, you know, it's got to finish. That's you know, you can give it more and more power, but. It's a bit more vulnerable to to breaking down, and uh, but we, 
We run a slightly softer setup than you would do at a billiard table circuit like Le Mans or Donington or Cadwell or whatever. So uh, <coughs> slightly stronger, slightly heavier. Use aluminium wheels instead of titanium wheels, slightly heavier spindles. And it's, you wouldn't believe it, but it's not massively trick. You know, it's just it's just a simple bike. You know, the, the bike that's in the hole, we can have a look around it and show you some parts on it. You know, it's uh, got to be comfortable, wider handlebars, bigger screen, lower pegs and... Uh, just find the balance, you know, you can never get a perfect setup at the TT because there is parts of the track where it's really, really smooth and bits that are, are really, really rough. So uh, we just try and, ba try and balance it up, you know, it's a normally bigger fuel tank, a uh, 24 litre fuel tank instead of an 18 litre tank. Uh, slightly different tyres, slightly harder compound uh, tyres to keep because the tyres are spinning all the time. So a few little bits, but, uh, you know, we do, we go to Castle Coombe and normally within, you know, a couple of days I can tell what, what direction we're going in and been but we haven't changed that bike that much. People think it's got a magic wand in it, it hasn't it? It's just got a, it's just a, a great package. You know, BMW brought different bikes out, all the other manufacturers brought different bikes out, but <coughs> sometimes power's not the answer. You know, it's just a, a balance of power, stability, uh, confidence with the bike. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I just had a big smile on my face at Castle Coombe last week. You know, Dunlop brought some different tires out. The, that's, you know, just one little step forward and, uh, you know, with a before. So I, I don't think that's a long to finish yet. This, it's this right. you laugh at this. It's a, it's a little message to remind me. I've got a crack in the windscreen in my motorhome, so I need to. <laughs> <coughs> and before <laughs> before I drive it to Le Mans, I don't want to uh, <coughs> crack the rest of the windscreen. The fortune there. But More uh, than any anywhere, it is kind of we, we've seen sort of bikes come and go, and bikes keep changing. As you say, the fire blade's been around for a long, long time now. And it's just more more than anywhere else. It's just down to the rider, isn't it? Do you know, we, we've tried swing arms, we've tried shock lengths, we've tried different wheelbases, different offsets, and, and we always go back to where we were in 2009. You know, it's the same bike. We did 131.6 in 2009, and the chain snapped in the senior, so we didn't we didn't get the win. But, it, you know, we always go, go back to that. It's really weird. We're desperate to create something but the bike's so good the package has been so good for the last few years and it works you know and i've been to the tt with a new bike and there's so many different things can 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 halt progress you know you, you get there and it could be raining on monday could be raining on tuesday so the first time you get on the bike's wednesday it's a new bike uh all of a sudden you've got stability issues handling issues uh, clutch issues whatever and then you know, you could get out on the on the Wednesday night or the Thursday night, and the bike breaks down, so you broke down in a, a place where you can't get back for another bike. So you could be, end up in Thursday with all, Thursday of practice week, having having no time on the bike. But I know I can jump on my Honda, stick my helmet on, and go flat out down Brayhill. And if it was tomorrow, I would just have all the confidence just to go to go pin down Brayhill, and that's that's one of the big pluses for me. You know, um, obviously it's it's a battle against the elements and the circuit, um, but over the I, I think now has been sort of is one of the most competitive times in in road racing. Is it what? Who have you been sort of? Who have been your main competitors over um, over the twenty year period? Is there any names that sort of leap to mind? Yeah, there's a few coming. Definitely a few coming. Hutch is one of them. Uh, he uh, he's just been through through the mill really with this uh, with his leg injury. And I hope the Seagrave trophy is a little bit better than the Torrens trophy. Is that is that is that right? Seagrave is very much the uh, numero uno. Yeah. That's okay. Then. As long as, <laughs> as long as we can, as long as we can outstrut Hutchie, we're all right. Oh, all <laughs> I've way, seen some yeah. pictures here a few months ago of him here, but uh, yeah, you've got Hutchie, you've got I mean the Dunlop, the Dunlop boys. 
especially Michael, you know, such a character, such a determined, really. You know, he's, uh, he sticks the helmet on. Once the helmet's on and you look in his eyes, I don't know what I see in there, but uh, <laughs> it is, I don't look at him, you know. But, yeah, you know, Lee Johnson, there's, there's James Hillier, but I look, the start numbers have just come out, the top 20 start numbers. I'm thinking, well, he can win, he can win, he can win. <laughs> you know, I've got Bruce Ante setting off behind me. He's 46 years old. He doesn't ride a bike. He's got a ridiculous long beard. He just, he's the most unlooking motorbike racer in the world, you know, and then sleeps all day and then he jumps on the bike and he does amazing things, you know. You know, you've got Hillier at three, you've got Hutchie at number four, you've got, you know, Peter Hickman's been coming through the ranks, you know, fastest ever newcomer, looking really strong. He's the big story. They moved him to number five, so, uh, you know, William Dunlop at six, Gary Johnson, you know, Rutter, the old fox, he's two days older than me. He actually looks two years older than me. But it's Rutter's in at number nine, the most miserable man in motorbike racing. Uh, Connor Cummins, my... <laughs> oh, you can call me like that. He won't mind. I'm the tightest. Uh, yeah, you've got Connor Cummins at ten as well. So my teammate, the big six-foot-four manxman, you know, it's uh, it's awesome. It's poised. It's mega, you know. It's look, you know, there's so many of us could win. And uh, I, I always try and look at the start numbers and think, well try and find myself a bit of space somewhere in the top 10 but you know there's nowhere to hide now they moved Bruce to number two so I'm definitely gonna have to be on my toes from the start line but uh, there's I don't know it's it there's no real young young riders you can't be young and well I say apart apart from Michael I mean he's only 11 TTs at at 25 26 years old I didn't do my first TT till I was 25 so you know where is he, he's going to be in 10 years 12 years I, I don't know he's he's such <laughs> I'll leave him to it. <laughs> it's crazy. The, the amazing thing now is, <clears throat> well, especially now, is how close all the races are, aren't they? You know, you go to a MotoGP race and the race lasts 40 minutes and the guys start together and, you know, they go round together and they finish two seconds apart or whatever. But in the Isle of Man, you, you know, it's how many miles? It's sort of uh, 300 miles or whatever. You're probably not, not even seeing each other the whole yeah. race and yet you're still finishing two tenths. seconds apart or, or tenths, tenths of tenths seconds of, yeah, yeah, yeah tenths apart I mean that that to me different bikes different riders not even seeing each other and it's you know you win a race by half a second I mean I just can't I can never quite get my head around that it's amazing it is difficult it's difficult when you're on the other end of the half a second as well so but uh, you know I, I get pit boards around the circuit and uh, over the last couple of years it's the only time where we've had points on it's always ever been plus or minus two or plus, but now it's it can be plus point seven, which is is a is a bike length, you know. Over the, and you know with all the the modern timekeeping now with the sectors and then your transponders, you can actually, you know, when when I first started doing my TTs, I used to I used to record the the uh, the commentary with a tape recorder and then then play it back at home and just listen to it and think well. You know, Joey was fast to such and such, or, you know, Ian Locker was quick over the mountain, or, you know, and, and just try and work it out that way. But now you transponders, you get your timesheets. There's nowhere to hide at all. It's all, each sector's there, you know, six sectors around the track. And I looked at lap one, two, and three of this year's senior TT. I looked at my middle sectors. Sector one's different for the pit stops, and, and sector six is different. But the middle four sectors, the furthest sector apart, was 0.2 of a second over like six mile sectors so it was just you know i don't want to sound blowing up my ass but it <laughs> each sector was was to the 0.2 and, and some of them were identical so that's how consistent 
consistent I was, you know. So, uh, and lap three after the lap record, sort of won me the race, if you like, as I pushed real hard with a new tire and a full tank of fuel. And lap three, I pulled away from from the guy. And then lap four, such a sweet position to be in. Like plus, you see plus nineteen on your board, and you're just thinking. I got emotional to be honest. I thought I never, th I didn't never think it was going to happen again. But I thought, wow, I'm going to win my seventh senior TT, and I could feel myself like, and I look concentrate, John Kitty, you know, and don't rev the bike, don't just bring the bike home, and you know the atmosphere around the track was, you know, people waving programs all the way around. It's something you'd have to experience to, to actually understand what it's like. And then you cross the line, it was just mega. But uh, I've gone off a tangent now, I'm wittering on, but uh, well, that was the question was, uh, I'm, I'm just going about something. Um, the 2015 Senior TT was voted the greatest fight back race um, in a Dunlop Motorsport poll, actually. And I was, I was going to bring it up later, but it's, it's great that you touched on it. Um, obviously, at the TT, uh, it's, you're, you're racing for the Taurus Trophy, which is a trophy we have in the cabinet here. Um, ben, we have, you have the original tourist trophy that was awarded for, for the TT races, do you not? Yeah, we do. I mean, there is a, there's a tourist trophy that uh, John will hold as well when he, uh, he has done 23 times. But uh, the, uh, the original tourist trophy was first held in 1905 for cars. Uh, it was won by, uh, 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 in an Apia. And the second year, 1906, actually won by CS Rolls. Um, and the, the, uh, such was the success of this motor race in the Isle of the Man that the motorcyclists thought, well, we can have a go at that as well. So they, uh, they started the first TT in 1907. And, and just to correct myself, it was an Errol Johnston, not an Napier. <laughs> and and the, the interesting thing about why the, the bike motorcyclists wanted to go to the Isle of Man was because for two or three years they'd had something called the International Cup that was like five or six nations, the British, the Austrians, the French, taking part in, taking place in France and so on. And the, and the French were cheating a lot, surprisingly enough. <laughs> no. I shouldn't say that. But but the the, the at the weigh in at one of the the, the the bikes had to weigh less than 110 pounds or something like that and, and 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 you know they were bringing them to the start to the weigh in with no chains and you know one pedal missing and a and and, and the seat post was a bit of sort of wood with painted in silver paint and so and so the British were saying we're, we're getting fed up with this we need to go and organize it ourselves so that kind of came out the TT came out of these kind of original international road races in Europe which which the English were very fed up because we never won them because we'd find that there were nails in our tires and all that kind of stuff you know so there you go. The, the uh, French cheating you. Who, who would have thought? Um, we have a question. We, actually, lovely sorry. people, the French. Obviously. Yeah, no, no, they are. Just, yeah, just say, don't talk to me about Wayne's. I've got to lose ten kilos, and I get my electric bike. So uh, I've had a little deal with Mugen, Mr. Honda himself, Hirotoshi Honda. Said if you lose ten kilos, we'll give you one of the bikes because I've been at him for four years <laughs> for one of one of the Mugen electric bikes. And uh, how, <laughs> how's that going? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, from where I'm sat, there's I'm, room to I'm, go. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, yeah. To go faster, strike this. The uh, <laughs> I had to go for a weigh in at Milton Keynes, at, uh, and uh, the, the the boss, one of the bosses, was there, and I had, I got a load of change. I got like about thirty pound coins and stuffed stuffed them in my shoes, so I could a little be a little bit heavier. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I had uh, a couple of breakfasts on the train and uh, like two liters of water down me. <laughs> talk, and, uh, talk about the, the like, French cheating. He went to well. <laughs> You know, I went to th on the scales. <laughs> scales, <laughs> little Japanese fella, Katsumatasan, he's called. He's like, oh, he's 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 all over me all the time. He's at me all the time. He's like, whoa! <laughs> he's looked at the scales. He was like, sex a picture of his iPhone. So I'm about. I've got a test on the 18th of April uh, to test a new Mugen. So uh, if I lose, if I look like I've lost a little bit, which 
You don't maybe, have maybe a issues. little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's well, let's like say I'll be disappointed if I don't get it. Um, I mentioned just now we got a question from the uh, the club chairman Tom Purvis, um, and he was asking about Joey, which we, we've talked about, but also your memories of Steve Hislop. Um, and uh, you know, was he? A, a, I think so I heard someone call him a, a flawed sporting genius. Is that sort of? I'd agree with you there. Yeah, he was the, one of the fastest riders in the world, uh, anywhere in the world, any track. At, uh, but you know, he he was such a tidy rider, so smooth, so fast, and you know, he won eleven TTs. Should have won more, but uh, for whatever reason, he didn't. But uh, he made some great battles, and you know, I think Hizzy was. Well, his famous race was winning the 92 senior TT on the Norton, the Rotary Norton. And uh, I I actually rode that Norton at uh, the bike as it finished at, at the classic TT this year. And I'm sat on it thinking, how did he ride this bike, you know, and how did he do 123 miles an hour on it? You know, it was unbelievable. And uh, such a small little bike, you know, and the power was so different, so unique, the rotary engine, no engine braking, the way it delivered its power, so weird, really. And, uh, you know, he beat Foggy in that epic race. And uh, I got quite pally with Steve, you know, I had a lot of time for Steve and he had a lot of time for me, you know, and uh, we always chatted and he, he sort of dissected everything. If he ever telling you a story, he'd be so animated and he'd be making all the noises and the down changes and, you know, it was just, just great, great company, you know. And uh, I remember telling him when I... In my early days, you know, I I had nothing, you know, and I had a, I was racing a Yamaha TZ250 in '93 or '94, and everybody had tie warmers and things. I didn't have any tie warmers, and I remember Hizzy bringing me an old spa plastic bag or something. He said, "Here, here's some tie warmers," and he gave me a set of tie warmers, and you know, I still got them at home, and uh, I wouldn't part with them. But uh, you know, so yeah, I was massive respect for Steve, and uh, you know, I watched him win a f uh, quite a few of his TTs, and you know, I, I was on the banking. At uh, Ren Cullen with with the wife and uh, he was eighty nine or ninety and did the first hundred and twenty mile an hour lap as well. So uh, you know, I just great great rider. You know, shame shame he's not here. You know, he was always great company and great fun to be around. And like I say, he went round Donington in thirty two something and went faster than Valentino Rossi on a, on a Ducati Superbike in two thousand and two. Two thousand two, so yeah. yeah, yeah. He actually yeah. held the the outright Donington lap record on a Donington uh, on a Ducati Superbike. I. Uh, a sort of pimped up street bike, faster than Rossi had gone round on a Honda RC213V, which was and still is possibly the greatest Grand Prix bike ever built. So that just shows, as you say, how, how tidy he was he and was how, brilliant. how he, how was he brilliant. could get the absolute maximum out of a motorcycle when he was in the mood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a sad way he ended it on the Yamahas, and the Yamaha wasn't very competitive and had a bit of a fallout with Rob Mack, and it wasn't a great sort of end to his career really it was sad to see you know he was uh it was way way better than where he sort of finished off you know um i so i'm jumping about a bit because i'm worried that we're, we're we're nearing the end um i've got a question here from from actually from alan uh who's uh, records all this beautiful sound um macau uh obviously got a lot of lot of history there um and success what uh how does it differ from the the tt course obviously there are a lot of very hard objects to hit that don't move, <laughs> um, but it is very much a street circuit. Is it very, very different? It is very different, is Macau. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a short circuit basically in a in a tunnel uh, with with barriers around it. It's uh, as far as a, as a, a pure road race circuit goes, it is quite smooth, you know, and it gets quite grippy. It gets really grippy to be fair because the cars, the F F three cars and the touring cars, really clean the clean the track up. So they, it uh, like 
the TT track gets it gets quite dirty. There's, there's tractors pulling out and there's dropping muck and stuff all over the road. So you know it's such a long way around, and you can be anything thrown at you at the TT. And normally a few road accidents and things, but the Macau's quite a short track, and uh, it does get very very grippy. So it is like full commitment all the way around the track for, right from uh, from the start of the race it's a, it's a tough race it's barrier to barrier to barrier and you know I think people say oh we're only on holiday and but when the racing when the race is on we're not on holiday it's serious business and we all want to win it and we're all going to give a good ride but uh, you know there is parts of it that are a holiday as well uh, it's uh, <laughs> we have three days of uh, checking out some local establishments and uh, <laughs> there's uh you mean yeah. shops, don't you? Yeah, the shop, <laughs> shops with them. Canadian bar. Funny lights outside. with. They, they sell good um, fireworks in Macau, <laughs> don't they? That's the, that was uh, always a highlight, the fireworks in Macau. Yeah, I've heard all sorts of stories about Macau. The stories I've heard, and, and I've got a few stories myself as well. Uh, I, I went to to race there on a 500 V-Twin Honda in 1998 on, on Joe Miller's 500, and, that, and I've been back every single year. You know, I only won it once in 2001, but uh, we've had some great times. You know, we've... Uh, I've seen so many changes in Macau. I mean, we used to go down the straight towards the Lisboa and it used to be just the South China Sea. Now it's a 700-foot casino. There's MGM Grand, there's Venetians. There's, oh, it's just unbelievable. And the amount of money's getting spin, spin round on those tables is, is incredible. But, uh, yeah, we've had, some, we've had some good times. We've had a few... Yeah, I think I might have been arrested for a, uh, once, maybe. I got, I got filled in by a... A doorman once in one of the clubs, but it wasn't my fault. That was completely Hutch's fault. He set a fire extinguisher off, <laughs> and uh, it was funny. I had to go these stairs, and one of them hit me on the jaw. <laughs> me on the jaw, but I didn't know which one it was. <laughs> so I said to Hutchie, "I said just hit one of them. We'll run." I said, "But I've got some screws in my hip as well, so I'm a bit, a bit." I'm, he's like Linford Christie's. He's uh, Hutchie. He's got some pace on. Well, not anymore with his leg, but. I got some screws in my hip. I said, "Look, give me a head start, hit him, and then we'll leg it." <laughs> and uh, we come running back, and uh, one of the other boys got a bit of a knock knocking about. And I've, we we got back to the hotel. We were, we weren't packed, and the coach was waiting to take us to the airport. And uh, a bloke called Mike Trimby, you know Mike Trimby, who runs Erta from Motor Grand Prix, <laughs> he's signing everybody off, ticking everybody off. And three of us came back to the hotel. I've got blood running down my face. Locker's got blood running down. I, one of us is soaked with a fire extinguisher. And we just got one of those, it, it, one of those disappointed looks. You know them looks that you get off your off your dad. They're, when they're the worst kind of looks. Yeah, yeah. Just that. I was like, oh dear. Yeah, I mean, we're in trouble here. But uh, great place, uh, unique place. It, it, only happens there. Weird things only happen there. I don't know. It, it, the temperature, the humidity, the, the it's such a hard track as well, and it's it's such really really fast bit fa fast bits, and then you go into really technical left rights, left rights, and it all looks the same. So it's a it's a quite a difficult track to to get right. When you get it right, it's quite it's quite a good good track to ride. There's not even it? any he hedges to launch yourself into there, are they? I mean, it's <laughs> literally just rock solid yeah, the whole yeah. way around. It's just arm it's not the whole way down a culvert. I raced a historic there about over 10 years ago. I mean, you're using Mrs. Wong's laundry for breaking points because, and you're hoping the hell that she doesn't move it the following day or put it on a different line. It's, it's, it's I mean, it's intensely narrow in places and then you've got the other straight, which is wide, fast. It's you know, I, d I went there in 98 and we had Jensen Button sat in my 500, you know, and, and the, the, the people I've seen come through all the all the formula one guys have done macau you know we were sharing a hotel with with uh, max verstappen two years ago 
you know, and <laughs> he's in the he's in the gymnasium at six o'clock in the morning. We're just coming in from the nightclub, <laughs> so <laughs> he's he's looking at us guys like we're <laughs> we're not right in the head. But uh, I've seen great drivers. I've seen you know quite pally with Andy Prio, and Andy Prio won his world touring car titles there. So I've you know I've had some fantastic times in Macau. And I, oh, I would always go even when I retire from racing. I, I'd like to run a little team out there or something. Just go out there and just take some lads and. Go and have a good time. And, uh, I thought you were going to say I'd like to run a little tea shop out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. On, on that on note, uh, we really must end because I know you've got lots of other things to do. John, a very, very worthy winner of the Seagrave Trophy. And thank you so much for joining us. Ben, thank you for joining us. Alan, as always, for recording the sound. Matt, uh, Sorry, for rushing back from Wales to be here. Very kind of you. Um, we will see you all next month for another Royal Automobile Club talk show in association with Motorsport. Thank you so much for listening.